0: Don't know what it is, you Oklahoma
1: has been it. Excellence has been established by Coach Wilkinson, Coach Switzer, and Coach Stuartz. It's my responsibility to defend that standard and to build upon that standard. Welcome to the Oklahoma Drill Podcast. With your host, Jesse Curtain and Brian Clinton.
2: Hello, Sooner Nation. OU Insider, subscribers, coach Brian Clinton, enthusiasts or fanatics. I go back and I say them both. I say them both. Uh, Okies, as if you're watching the YouTube, you can see Brian has an Okie hat on. It looks great. Um, BYU, uh, people who know about BYU, any college football fans, people who are confused about the Big 12 tiebreaker scenarios. That probably means everybody. Welcome to the latest episode of the oklahoma drill podcast fueled by ou insider and the rivals network my name is jesse crittenden and i am of course joined by my co-host mr coach sir brian clinton brian how are you doing sir i'm good i'm uh ready to hit the road ready to
0: get this uh Get the wheels. Well, you'll you're ready to get the wheels up. I'm ready to get the real the wheels on the pavement and and get moving up to Provo. But
2: um, that's what for for people listening, if, if, since you don't know. So me and my and uh, our colleague Brandon Drum have the easy trip to Provo for the OU BYU game this weekend. We're both flying, but Brian and our colleague Parker are driving from Oklahoma to BYU. Brian, how long of a drive is that? Is that eternity?
0: How long is that drive? Seventeen short, blissful hours.
2: Short and blissful. Okay. Uh, yeah, totally. Seventeen hours. Well, when are you guys? When are you guys actually heading out? So I
0: will head down to the Oklahoma City area tomorrow about 6 a.m. Uh, and then when Parker gets off the radio tomorrow afternoon around 3, I think we're gonna literally just pack up the car and go from that point so it'll be uh be a good good two-hour drive for me down to you guys uh 17 hours there 17 hours back and then two hours back on sunday night to get here before monday so it'll be good it'll be fun well
2: gotta say i like you both you guys are you guys are good dudes good friends good uh good colleagues but very very glad that i will be flying yeah. and not, and not driving with you guys not against you guys at all i'm just yeah. very glad to be flying
0: <laughs> yeah no i when when parker said asked if anybody wanted to take a road trip i was like I am, I'm, i can't let that guy i can't let him drive that entire way by himself not nor is that safe but not fun whatsoever so
2: you, you, sh- you should have, you know, it's the grind, it's adversity, you know, being able to overcome it. It's, it's an important lesson for everybody. Not me. I've already <laughs> learned it. That's why I will not be driving to Provo. I've already learned it, but you guys still got to learn it. So, you know, what can I say, but Hey, for everybody at home, this is what we do. Well, this is what Brian and Parker do because they're extra committed, but this is what we do to cover the university of Oklahoma football team. And Brian, things feel a little bit more different, a little more optimistic than they did uh, the last couple of times we've done this show. And we're going to talk about all kinds of things. We're going to talk about all the confusion about the Big 12 title race and how the conference has been uh, confusing uh, is the nicest way I can put it in terms of the tiebreaker scenarios. Uh, We're going to talk about BYU this weekend, but I think we really need to talk about Saturday's win over West Virginia, Oklahoma, kind of controlling that game really from the beginning to a 59 to 20 win. I think there was a lot of angst from the fan base about that game after back to back losses to, to Kansas and Oklahoma state, but really felt like a get right game in a lot of ways, not only big to stabilize the season, but I think really to stabilize the program. I mean, I think three straight losses was, would have felt pretty, pretty bad. I, I really do. But Brian, you were on the field as you always are when we're covering these games what stood out to you about what ended up being a, a pretty easy, but I don't know if it was fully expected, but a, a pretty easy blowout for for Oklahoma.
0: Well, you know, it was surprising. Obviously, the outcome, in by thirty nine points. I I honestly felt going into this game that that West Virginia, the last three opponents that Oklahoma's faced, just as far as a, a schematic, uh, from a schematic standpoint, that they. They probably gave Oklahoma the, the biggest test. Um, really good offensive line, physical, uh, play really physical defense, opportunistic defensively. Um, West Virginia just had some pieces, and they were playing really, really good. I mean, their best football of the year to this point uh, coming into that game. And so it was, uh, you know, I I know that they kind of felt like it was gut check time going into Bedlam, but this really felt like. Uh, this team kind of putting their foot down and saying no. There's, you know, just to use the words that Drake Stoops uh, used earlier in the week. Uh, that there's there's still a lot to play for, and so uh, it really looked like they they did that. I, I will say, um, you know, the the tension was palpable uh, in that first quarter whenever <laughs> West Virginia went down and scored. The stadium, you could feel, as you said, the angst in the fan base. You
2: could really
0: feel that people were uncomfortable. Like,
2: what? Like, what
0: happened to this team? Is well, kind of what it felt like.
2: Well, and I think it was because that first drive was so easy. I mean, I think West Virginia only had two third downs, and they converted them both pretty easily. I mean, yeah, I don't know how anybody wouldn't have thought, "Oh my God, yeah. here, here we go again with this team." Right? It was. I mean, it was.
0: Again, you could feel it, and then when Oklahoma when they when they answered and, and tied the ball game up in you know relatively easy fashion the other way, uh, it was uh, like you you could tell people were like, well, what kind of game is this going to be? Is it like is this this feels like an old like an old Oklahoma game like from a few years ago? But then but then the Sooners put the clamps down defensively, um, really started playing good sound football. Uh, I th- I think the emergence of Kip Lewis is not something to be understated for this defense because with Danny Stutzman at Mike and and with him playing playing the will, I think that's a really strong combo. I, I think that you know I still believe Jaron Canick has a bright bright future here with Oklahoma, but uh, at this point in time, those two guys combine to give you I mean arguably the best linebacker do in the Big Twelve. Uh if 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 Kip Lewis continues to improve upon what we've seen from him in in two really two games worth of of real uh opportunity, he's gonna be really, really good. Um so I, I felt good about that. But I think the biggest thing you had to come away from in this game feeling good about was was the run game. Um you know the run game was more than it was more than efficient. It was, it was excellent. It was the best it's looked all season. Um, and, and I would even say that because the run game was, was more effective, you saw more intermediate uh, opportunities down the field. Now the zero passes behind the line of scrimmage in this game, there were zero passes thrown behind the line of scrimmage. That is a concerted effort that is the that is the offensive staff, whether it be something that, that Brent Venable sat down and talked with them about, whatever it was, there was an effort to not do things the way that they had been doing them, to get out of this rut that they were in offensively. And I, I think you really saw the offense clicking on all cylinders for the first time, maybe since that Iowa State game. So it was it was really, really good. Um felt felt really um confident coming out of that game that that Oklahoma truly took some steps because I and I said this in our in our instant analysis after the game I know that Dylan Gabriel had eight touchdowns in this game but he wasn't this was not the sharpest performance of of the year for him he 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 was off and if that Dylan Gabriel shows up against Texas Oklahoma doesn't win that football game so that just shows you the progress that the rest of the guys around him have made uh, in the game since then, the offensive line coming together, the running game, and then other guys filling in to try and, and fill the void that was left by Andrew and going down. So really good performance from both sides of the ball. I, I was really, really happy with how the offense looks though.
2: Well, you mentioned the defense. I mean, you're right to, to give up that really easy opening drive, but I think over the next five West Virginia possessions, they had 13 total yards, not one first down uh, I think for the defense to really settle in like that and largely limit West Virginia's offense was pretty impressive, but, but you're right. Uh, Brian, I think offensively there, there's four guys who are, who are really worth noting. And, you know, I think that's, you know, Nick Anderson with, you know, 119 yards, you know, big performance. Austin Stogner was big to see him finally get involved Um, you know, four catches for 69 yards and a score. But I think that the two main things, Brian, as you mentioned, the running game there. And the first one is Gavin Sawchuck who, you know, coming into the season, everybody was waiting for the breakout. You know, they saw the Cheez-It Bowl coming into the season. It's it's going to be Gavin Sawtruck and Javante Barnes. Well, they both suffered injuries uh, before the season. Both had to work through them. And when Gavin Sawtruck saw the field early in the season, he just didn't look quite that explosive. It was clear he was still trying to work through things. It's clear he's still trying to find a rhythm. But over the last couple of weeks, Brian, he's been he's been incredible. He's been really, really good. I mean, he had a career day against Oklahoma State. Had over 110 yards. I think he averaged over six yards per carry. And then against West Virginia, uh, again, 135 yards on 22 carries, 6.1 yards per carry. He looks like the starting running back. And this running back room has been really confusing all year. Mm-hmm. Obviously, Tawhee Walker's still not fully healthy, but I think Gavin Sawchuk has done enough. last couple weeks to cement himself as the starter he's clearly the most explosive he's really good when he's in a groove he's really good at reading the offensive line and figuring out where the holes need to be or where they are and you know he he can improvise really well Um, but i think this is a big deal not only for you know going through the rest of this season i mean he's he's now made i think he's made three consecutive starts or Three or four, I think three. Yes. Uh, he's made three consecutive uh, starts. No, no, no. Wait, did he start against UCF? Yes, four. yes.
0: Because didn't he? That was the game that he had the issues with the snap. Correct? Was that against UCF? Yes. I
2: believe yes, was. it was. Yeah. Yes, it was. God, that feels like that was a million years yeah, ago. I know it. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, it was. So four consecutive starts, but I think he's earned it, and I think cool. this is big. Not only. Moving forward and given the running back, you know, the 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 efficiency issues the running back room had through the beginning of the season. But I think it's big going through, you know, going into the future in the SEC. I think it's pretty clear that Gavin Sawchuck, when he's running like this, needs to be getting the bulk of the running back touches and he needs to be a big part of the offense. And I don't think it's a, I don't think it's a coincidence that the OU offense really looked as good as it has all season. And I'm going to even say that includes Arkansas State and even Iowa State because the running room, the running back room, the Gavin saw was running the ball so well. And the other one is, is, is Drake stoops. Can you say enough about that dude and what he's done this season? I mean, he's, he leads this team in receiving yards, touchdowns, uh, receptions, targets. He has 33 receptions over the last four weeks. He's just been incredible. He leads the Big Twelve or is in the top five in the Big Twelve in nearly every receiving category. I mean, he and again, you know, ten catches for 164 yards and three touchdowns. Brian, he was incredible. He was incredible.
0: I think he is. I'm I'm going to come out and this probably this really isn't that much of a prognostication at this point. He's he's going to lead the Big Twelve in receptions and yards and in touchdown and receiving touchdowns at the end of the, at the end of the regular season. I, I mean, I, I truly believe that 100%. And it's a testament to the work ethic of this kid. I mean, this is a guy that, and you can't really even call him a kid. Cause I mean, heck he's been doing this for six years now in Norman. And so it's just really awesome to see somebody put in the work and put in you know have the dedication to do this for the amount of time that he has and really more from a kid that was known as bob's boy growing up and and you know he was around the program and there, you know there's pictures of bob and carol holden he and isaac uh, on the field whenever they were just little you know just infants and and now he's making plays on that same field it, it's it's just really cool uh and it's something that you know, I, I think Oklahoma fans aren't ever going to forget. This is this is a kid that, despite the name on his jersey, has made a name for himself as a playmaker. And it's that Youngstown, uh, it's that Youngstown uh, grit that has gotten him there. And so, it's really, really awesome. I mean, it's it's just a great story, one that probably isn't getting enough uh, attention nationally. But you know, I, I think uh, when it comes time for when it comes time for all big 12 awards and things like that, I, I think that he'll, he'll finally get the recognition that he deserves.
2: I tweeted this uh, Monday, I believe since Andrew Anthony got hurt, which I want to clarify. It is not like, it's just when Andrew Anthony got hurt that left a void in the, so offense yep. and somebody needed to step up and Nick Anderson has done a lot to, to fill that role. But since he went down, Drake Stoops has 33 catches, um, I think, you know, what he's done since Andrew Anthony went down, he's on a 12 game pace for 99 receptions for over 1300 yards and 15 touchdowns.
0: How many, how many receptions does he have on the year?
2: 62, I okay. think 62.
0: Okay. So just, I, I looked this up the other day and it stuck in my mind. He has coming into this year because Oklahoma hasn't updated his career stats coming into the year. Uh, he had eight, 80 receptions on his career over the last five years and 914 yards receiving. He's gonna he's gonna surpass both of those. It, with the bowl season. game and potentially a Big 12 championship game, he'll he'll surpass those, which is incredible. I mean, that's just awesome. It goes to show you a guy taking advantage of the opportunity.
2: He has nearly double the catches on the season as Jaleel Farouk, who's second on the team with that's 35. Incredible. It's insane, and I and I think that's the thing. I think it's all the you know his his name and his roots and and being bob stoop's son it, all that is incredible but i think he's kind of i think the what he's doing on the field is almost kind of is almost over it's almost it's, overshooting all of that. Yeah. It
0: almost overshoots. It really the is. Fact that his last name is Stoops.
2: Yeah. I mean, yeah, he's, he, just, he's just a just dang a good football to, team. football player. And I think he's increasing his draft stock too. I mean, I think coming into the year, I don't think anybody was really looking at him as a guy. I think he's going to get drafted, man. Absolutely. That's how good he's been.
0: Yep. He is. He, he fits that. He fits that Wes Welker, uh, slot receiver role that we've seen in certain uh, at certain teams really really thrive. Um, his route running has really improved over the last couple of years, and he has just enough twitch where it, it, he's difficult to cover in open space. And he always the, the knack to find a, the football finding you all the time. That's not just a mistake. Uh, he's just really good at finding weak spots in the zone, and and that football IQ that he's gathered over the years has really showed up this year.
2: It has. And look, that that development of him and what he's done the last few weeks, uh, what Gavin has done, I think, submitting himself as he's as running back or starting running back uh, that that bodes well moving forward, because as we've seen the last few days, what we saw last weekend, this Big 12 title race is pretty crazy. It, it really is. So uh, let's let's dive into everything that's happened the last couple of days with these tiebreaker scenarios. But before we do that.
1: Let's hear a word from our sponsors. This episode of the Oklahoma Drill Podcast is sponsored in part by Manscaped. Ready to spice up your Thanksgiving as we dive headfirst into mountains of mashed potatoes and cranberry sauce. Let's talk about the unsung hero of the holiday season, the Manscaped Lawnmower 5.0 Ultra. And fellas, I just started using the Lawnmower 5.0 Ultra it is truly life changing. You'll never go back to your old trimmers. So don't let your poor grooming be the topic of the dinner conversation this year. With the Lawnmower 5.0 Ultra, you'll be the talk of the table. It's waterproof, so you can groom wet or dry, and let's face it, we all want to look our best before carving that bird, plus, The LED spotlight ensures you don't miss a spot, even in low-light situations. And speaking of carving, the dual skin-safe blade heads are your best teammates. The trimmer blade takes care of business, while the foil blade gives you an irresistibly sleek finish, like a winning touchdown at your Thanksgiving table. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code OUINSIDER at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code OUINSIDER. Be thankful this holiday season for the best gift of all from Manscaped. Your balls will thank you. So, Brian, as
2: we, as we mentioned and, and kind of touched on, uh, you know, when we started this this episode, anybody that follows OU football, anybody that follows college football, anybody that follows Big 12 football has seen uh, the confusion uh, with these tiebreaker scenarios the last couple of weeks. But for anybody that hasn't, this is where things sit right now in the Big 12. This is how chaotic things are. So, Texas – is first in the conference with a six and one record at second place there's a four-way tie between oklahoma state oklahoma iowa state and kansas state all at five and two but iowa state plays both texas and kansas state so the scenario that a lot of that has been talked about a lot is could oklahoma oklahoma state and kansas state all win out and finish with a seven and two record and tied for second, assuming Texas wins out. Well, according to the tiebreakers that are written on the Big 12's website, Brian, the way you break a three-way tie is you go head to head, but if not every team has played each other, you then go to the record against the next highest placed common opponent in the standings. Assuming Kansas State won out and Oklahoma State and Oklahoma won out, even though Oklahoma State beat both Oklahoma and Kansas State since Oklahoma and Kansas State don't play each other according to that next tiebreaker Kansas State would be the one to advance Correct. to to Texas or to Arlington and face Texas in a Big 12 title game but the Big 12 has clarified clarified in quotes that uh what how the rule is supposed to be interpreted I guess is the best way I can say it is that If there's a three-way tie between teams who have not played each or where all three teams have not played each other, then whichever team has beaten the other two teams advances, which would be Oklahoma State. So if that three-way tie happens, it will be Oklahoma State, not Kansas State. And I think the confusing thing about this is, look, no one's arguing that Oklahoma State wouldn't deserve to get through. That is absolutely the truth. Oklahoma State beat Oklahoma and Kansas State. That should absolutely factor in. Uh, so this this specific scenario and clarification doesn't really impact Oklahoma. But, Brian, that is not what the tiebreaker rules say. They were adamant. I emailed them a couple of days ago about these tiebreakers. This is the email they sent back to me and several other reporters. And they specifically said that this is not a change. This is not a change from the existing tiebreaker rules. This is going with the rules that were agreed upon before the season. Brian, unless I can't read, unless my reading comprehension isn't good, which I'm not saying I have the best reading comprehension. Brian, this doesn't seem like a clarification to me. This seems like a change. Am, am I wrong? So to me, a clarification would
0: be you are explaining something that is already written into the tiebreaker scenarios or written into the procedures or, or policies that you have to follow. That in no way, shape, or form is found anywhere in the multi-team team in the multi-team tiebreaker uh, procedures. The the top the number one number one on the uh, on the policies list there on multi-team ties says head-to-head, and then in in parentheses best cumulative win percentage in games among the tied teams. Period. If not, comma. That comma shouldn't be there. Yeah, it's a bad comma. Yes, bad comma. It it is. It should read. It should read. If not every team, every tied team has played each other, go to step two. That's how it should read. Now, I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I I don't believe. And and okay, I'll I'll even preface by saying this: Oklahoma isn't the team that got screwed in this scenario. It's It's Kansas State. State. It's Kansas State. And so I don't believe for a second that the Big 12 is is truly trying to keep Oklahoma or Texas out of the Big 12 championship. That's not what's happening. The problem is you should not have come into the season, first of all, with this kind of issue for a multi-team tie, given how competitive this league is year in and year out. But to make a quote-unquote Change, we're just going to call it a clarification. to To clarify, and add, make, put an addendum into the the policies is something that should happen post season. You should fix that between seasons. So, not only was the Big Twelve wrong by coming into the year with these issues they doubled down and were wrong again they by making down. some sort of change in the middle of the year. And it's, just, and it's just a bad look for the conference. I mean, I, I understand why you felt the need to do that. Um, if you, if you're, you know, you know, rules official, whatever, but it, it just, it's just not a good look. It, it, it No, there's no way about it. It's not a good look and, and Kansas state fans have every right to be upset. You have every right to be upset because under the rules last week, you were in great position to make a big 12 title game. And now, I mean, it, it's really, you're up against it a little bit. You want to know how, you want to know how crazy this, this tiebreaker scenario stuff is.
2: Yeah. Hold how? on here. I'm going to, I'm going gonna, I'm
0: gonna to break the fourth wall here for
2: a second. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> for, uh, for people who are not watching on video, Brian is, uh, he's getting a huge whiteboard that okay. looks like, the it's always sunny meme, <laughs> where Charlie's pointing at everything on Do the wall.
0: You see all of the itty bitty writings. Here? This this is what it took for me to break down how these tiebreaker scenarios w- could change uh, whenever they made this new rule. So there's like all these different wins and losses and and tiebreaker scenarios over here, and then the standings and all that. But it just to just just for me to understand it enough to speak on it uh covering for heartland and obviously for OU insider it like it's just too much like i mean you it should not be this complicated um and so for the big 12 sake I, I mean i really i honestly just hope that that something happens where that three way tie never happens because if it does and oklahoma state moves on and kansas state's left
2: behind it's it's going to be so bad both both things can be true this is technically the right thing to do Hmm. oklahoma states wins against kansas state and oklahoma should absolutely be honored yep this is technically the or this is the right sorry not the right thing to do this is the right logic it is not it is not the right thing to do and what i told parker is what what i told him was it's clear to me because because the last 10 years of big 12 football there's 10 teams everybody plays each other that makes the tiebreakers a lot simpler yeah yeah but crazy yeah but then they added four teams and for this year only there's a 14 team conference and to me it's clear that they thought about the possibility of teams of more than two teams being tied that hadn't all played each other what they had not thought about was that it was possible that even if the if all three teams hadn't played each other that one would have played both and beat them both correct They had not factored in that scenario. And to me, it's again, if you're a Sooner fan, this, not that it doesn't affect you. It, it, it mostly doesn't affect you, or at least in this scenario with Kansas state, Oklahoma state, it it doesn't really affect you that much. But to me, this is more of a, like, it's not only making this change and it is a change, but to then double down and say, this is not a change. Yeah, it's a weird look. And I agree with you. I don't think it's a conspiracy. I think it's incompetency. Yeah, that's what I think it is. And that's why, like, if you're a Kansas State fan telling me that this is probably the right logic like most can agree with that. But to me, if you tell me that, that doesn't help me feel any better. No. To me, that means, oh, all of a sudden, now I've got my whole thought process on the next two weeks of college football or a big 12 football completely changes. It's completely different.
0: Yeah, there's no reason why you should have gone through 10 games, you know, thinking, or and not even 10 games. We're not thinking about tiebreaker scenarios in the non-conference, but there's no reason why for a two full weeks where Kansas State's made their way back into this race and, and really become a player in it, that you should be thinking this is what could potentially happen. And now that's been flipped on its head and you don't have there, if, if this is the right logic, then why was it not used? Why was this not the verbiage used in August before the season started? That's, I mean, and that's really, again, what you just said, the incompetence is what is really the best way of putting it. We, we just, they didn't see, they didn't look at every available angle and whether that's, Hey, we only have 14 teams for one year. This will do what, what's the worst that could happen. I really hope that that's not the conversation that happened, but with, with all the, with all the things that are changing in this league, um, some things obviously get overlooked and, and this was one of them.
2: Well, and to me, I think to, to kind of put a bow on it, I mean, to me, I think it's, it's again, stating that, that, I almost would have respected the Big 12 more if instead of saying this isn't a change if they'd come out and said, "Look, we screwed up. Yeah. This is our fault. We this is this was this is a weird year for the conference." And it is. Look, if you're the Big 12, this is weird. You went from 16 years of 12 teams and two 16 divisions, 16 divisions. Mm-hmm. Then you had to go to a round robin 10 team format. Now for one year You've had, you have 14 teams and then you're, and then you're losing two and bringing in a bunch more teams. This is weird. Right. I'm not saying, I'm not saying I would have respected it. I'm not even trying to justify it. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying I would have almost respected it more if they said we screwed up. We did not plan for this contingency where one team had beaten both in a three team scenario where not everybody played each other, yeah, but to I, double down and say, this isn't a change. It's, it's a change. There's right. no other way to say 100%. It. Yeah.
0: There's, there's not, I mean, you're lying to yourself. if You don't believe that that's a change. And I would have respected them totally if they would have said, yeah, we messed up on that, but that's what it says. And that's how we started the year under that's, these. Yeah, you're right. We, we started the year under this, and this is how we have to finish it. We'll, we'll change it going in 2024. But the way that they handled it was was just wrong. And, you know, a quick note on all this, the sport is going away from divisions. You know, we, we're seeing divisions being wiped away everywhere. The Pac-12 doesn't have divisions this year. This is one of those unforeseen consequences of not having divisions because had Oklahoma state, Oklahoma, and Kansas state all been in the same division, like they were in the old big 12, Oklahoma state would have had the, it's already written in there. They would have had the tiebreaker because they would have had those division wins over Oklahoma and Kansas state. Therefore they would have been the team at, at the top going in you know, re- recognizing or, or being the team that represents the North and that, you know, in the old big 12. But um This is just something I don't think that this is going to be the last time it becomes it's an issue. But this feels like twenty fourteen all over again with Baylor and TCU. It just it feels like you just you over there was oversight on on how the champion was going to be decided and it's it's a bad look.
2: Well, I'll say you're right. I should have specified that this should have been a more this should have been not a we screwed up, let's change it. It should have been a let we screwed up and look, Oklahoma State, assuming they went out, has every or or Uh, or sorry, Oklahoma State has every right to be upset if they went out and Mm -hmm. still don't get in despite the wins against Oklahoma State or against Oklahoma and Kansas State. But we will fix this. This is an oversight that I think would... And then if you're an Oklahoma State fan, it's frustration that the Big 12 didn't see this earlier. Not a Kansas State fan who's potentially going to be upset because of this change, which I really have never heard of something like this before. But also in a joking, but not kind of joking way, I said when the big 12 schedule was released this year, that it was a travesty to not have Oklahoma and Kansas state play each other this year. It was. And I know there's a lot that goes into the schedule making process, but we could have avoided all of this. Mm -hmm. If Oklahoma and Kansas state played each other, because every time they play each other, it's a great game.
0: Oh, I said the same (laughs) thing about Oklahoma state and Texas.
2: Yeah. They should Oklahoma state and Texas should play.
0: Yeah. So I, I don't know. I mean, if those would have happened, then we wouldn't really have this issue, but. Again, if Oklahoma State wouldn't have got his doors blown off last week, we wouldn't be having this conversation anyway. So Th-
2: that's the lead into all of this. And it, look, it's not silly to be upset or confused or frustrated or disappointed, regardless of where you sit on all of this. You probably feel a little bit more if you're a Kansas State or Oklahoma State fan. The reality is, we've still got two weeks of Big 12 football, and we have seen every week in this conference that things do not work out like you thought they would who in the heck would have ever thought Oklahoma state would go down to UCF and get beat by 42, 42, 42, not me. I would have never, I would have, you could have given me a million scenarios and that would have been the last one I bet on. Yeah. They scored three points. They just beat Oklahoma. They beat Kansas state. Yeah. And then on top team. on
0: top of that, they're playing this is the worst. I I believe the worst power five rushing defense, the worst in the Big 12. Mm-hmm. And I think they were like 123rd or 122nd nationally. And Ollie Gordon had 25 yards on 12 yeah. carries. Like yeah. I know that he was hurt for a portion of the game, but he came back in. He held Ollie Gordon to 25 yards. Like I, I don't it was just a it was a weird, weird game.
2: Well, and I'm not, I'm not saying, Oh my God, UCF so horrible. This is so it's not about that. UCF has, has, has some decent players on both sides of the ball. They do. But for Oklahoma state, you're now completely in the driver's seat and to, to lose to a team that has good players, but should not be beating you at four by 42 points for that to happen. We talk about the Oklahoma letdown after the Texas win this letdown by Oklahoma state drastically overshadows any of OU's losses or even the close win over UCF. This is nowhere close, but this is when it comes to, I think it's okay to be frustrated or confused or about all of this that's happened the last couple of days, but so much could change. Look, what if Iowa state beats Texas? What if Iowa state beats Kansas state? What if Kansas beats Kansas state? Iowa state, is still viable depending on some other things happening here um and look all of this really doesn't matter for Oklahoma as if they don't win out they are that, that's that's really what this comes down to and Brett Venables kind of talked about it on Tuesday um but for Oklahoma like I said this 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 all this impacts them a little bit but nothing changes for them to have a chance. At the Big Twelve title game, they've got to win out. And you're probably now rooting against Texas and probably Oklahoma State for good measure. Yep. While while you win out. That's probably that's probably what you're looking at. So there's also been a lot of discussion about what does Oklahoma need. You probably need a Texas loss or an Oklahoma State loss. I believe that's what you need.
0: Yes. You need Oklahoma State to lose a game. Uh you need Iowa State. Iowa State to beat Texas would be would be the best the best outcome for, for Oklahoma, I believe um, you could still they could lose to Texas Tech and, and Oklahoma get in. Uh, and I think that you would face I think that you would face Texas still in that scenario. But if if Iowa State was to win uh, and, and beat Oklahoma and then everything else, it holds holds pat there. Uh, I believe it's I believe it's OU OSU in the Big 12 championship.
2: Well, and this could end in a four-way tie between Texas, Oklahoma, Oklahoma state and Kansas state, Mm -hmm. even if Texas drops, if Texas drops a game
0: or or if, if Iowa state beats Texas and then turns around and beats Kansas state, it could be a four-way tie uh, with with those teams and Kansas state being on the outside looking in. So, yeah, I mean, this is, this is incredibly close. This is, I mean, what more could you ask for? I mean, I, I know it's been frustrating, uh, for some fan bases, but as, as far as, as crowning a champion, what more could you ask for as far as a race goes than what we've got here last two weeks in big 12 play for Oklahoma and for Texas? I mean, this is as fun as it gets. So you've got five teams feeling like they've got a legitimate shot at a big 12 crown and we're headed into week 12. I mean, yeah. it, it just doesn't get any more fun than that.
2: Yeah, they, right. And while I think that the possible scenarios have been tweaked a little bit for Oklahoma uh, to get there, like I said, nothing changes about them needing to win out. Correct. That's correct. that. That nothing changes, and that starts this weekend at BYU, a place Oklahoma has never played, I believe. And correct. uh, This will be a 10 a.m. local kick, or specifically a 10:07 local kick, 11:07 local time. This is going to be the earliest kickoff in the history of Oklahoma football which is not fun for us in the media or probably fans either. Um but this is an incredibly early kickoff and look BYU um is a is is an is a new place for everybody uh, basically everybody uh, on that roster for the coaching staff um to to go to Provo it's it's a new place also the the altitude is a real thing it's different there. Um plus BYU um, is a really passionate fan base. And they're, they're, it's one of the most heralded uh, college football environments there is. But this is a game Oklahoma's heavily favored, and that's because BYU is 5-5 five and five overall. They're 2-5 in the conference. They've lost, uh, I believe, three straight. And they have not scored their, their point totals in their last three games, 6, 7, and 13. Our offense has just been rough. Now I know they've had some injuries. Um, but offense has just been rough. Defense has been rough. They've given up 35, 37, and 45 points during this three-game skid. Look, you can't overlook anybody. Look, Oklahoma struggled against a Cincinnati team that has struggled in Big 12 play this year on the road. They barely beat UCF. They lost can- to Kansas to Oklahoma State. You can't take anything for granted, but Brian, I mean, is this a game that, is this a game Oklahoma, assuming they play like they did against West Virginia? Is this a game even on the road they should they should be able to handle pretty easily?
0: If the Oklahoma team that came in to uh, Norman and played West Virginia last weekend shows up in Provo, uh, this game, this game will be decided by north of forty points. I mean, they're, they're this just is not a good. They're they're just not playing good football right now. BYU is is one of the proudest uh, football traditions in 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 uh, in the country outside of you know your your traditional blue bloods uh, BYU has, has done it. They, they've got, uh, just really strong, uh, ties with, with, with fantastic quarterback play over the years. Um, you know, long time ago, I believe it was, it was Steve Young and, uh, um, make me, I'm I'm drawing a blank on, on a couple of, of the other guys that they've had come out of there, but, but obviously really, really good, uh, uh, football program up there. And, and look, you started off the season five and two and they've been dying for that, that bowl game, that bowl bid, that sixth win for, for several weeks. Now you're at five and five. And now, um, you know, you, you, you lose here, you're five and six, and you've got one more chance at it and you've got to go to Stillwater, uh, and try and beat Oklahoma state next weekend. So, I think the motivation factor is going to be there. Obviously this is a game that BYU fans have had circled for, you know, since the, since the schedule came out when Oklahoma came to, to BYU, everybody had that one circled. This is a team that, that uh, BYU's played twice. They've beat them twice. They're, they're two and all time against the Sooners. Um, you know, I'm sure there's going to be signs of all sorts up there, but but this is a this is just a game that it, it's a once in a lifetime opportunity for for both teams, so I think both teams will come into this, uh, you know, fairly well prepared. But I mean, if, if both teams play at ninety percent of their capacity, uh, Oklahoma wins this game going away. I mean, they they really should
2: uh, they should not struggle in this game. Look, I mean, to that point, Brian, I agree with you. Look, BYU is dead last in the Big 12 in points per game at 21.9. They're 12th in the conference in defense um, at 28.7 points per game allowed. Um, they're 12th in the conference in rushing defense. They're dead last in the conference in rushing offense. They're 13th in the conference in passing offense. Uh, their, their passing defense has actually been kind of middle of the road, but I think it's because they're passing or the rushing defense is so bad. Correct. I mean, there's just gonna be so avenues, so many avenues for this Oklahoma team to attack BYU. So I think when you're thinking about uh not only for this game, but also in terms of remaining viable in the Big 12 race and um, you know, trying to get to that title game and thinking about continuing to build the program and all that stuff, you know? So for this game and beyond, what are you looking for most on either side of the ball for Oklahoma? What are you going to be watching or, or paying attention to more than anything else? So Oklahoma has
0: struggled on the road this year, plain and simple. Oklahoma just has not looked like the same team on the road this year, outside of their, their trip to uh, the cotton bowl, which you know is is only half a road game technically um they just haven't looked the same and so this is an opportunity for them to get that monkey off their back uh this is a this is an opportunity for Oklahoma to go on the road uh, and and take care of business leave no doubt and come back home to Norman for their season finale against TCU um and, and their struggles on the road have have gone back to last year uh and so this is this is something that I'm sure they've been told that all year, all week long. I know that, that Brent Venables is a master motivator. He's, he's excellent at that stuff. And uh, you know, that'll be a big thing. But as far as the offense goes, I want to know how often they're going to feed Drake stoops. Uh, I'm, I'm assuming that he's going to just continue to get looks his way in the passing game. And then I, I think this is also another game for Gavin Sawchuck to build on. Uh, you've really got to continue uh, feeding him and seeing, you know, he, he's still got plenty of tread left on the, on, on those tires for this year. And, and I think that that's going to be a strength of theirs going into, you know, whether they have two games left on the year after this or three games left with a, with a potential big 12 championship, that rushing offense is going to be what helps you churn out those, those drives that, that help Dylan Gabriel uh, finish them off. And so uh, seeing seeing Gavin Sachuk really go in, in the running game is going to be good, and then defensively, we've seen some attrition in in the back end. We've seen some guys uh, go down. Gentry Williams, I don't know what his I don't know what his uh, availability is going to be this weekend. Uh, just considering how difficult uh, that you know separating a shoulder. Can be to come back from just as far as pain goes. I would imagine unless he is absolutely needed, they'll probably hold him out in this game. So it's another opportunity to see some young guys, um, you know, get an opportunity to go in there. Is it Can I Walker again? Do we see more Josiah Wag- uh, Wagner? Do we see more Jacoby Johnson, who just had his first career interception? Um, you know, th- there's some things in the back end that, that really need to uh, just continue to develop. The defensive line looked really good last week, so. Uh, look for them to, to dominate. But, you know, if I had to pick two things, it would be the secondary for Oklahoma uh, defensively. And then offensively, it's the running game with Gavin Sachuk.
2: I agree with you there, uh, especially the running game. I mean, I think, like we talked about earlier, I think Gavin Sawchuk has done enough to to warrant the bulk of the carries, even with as well as Talwee Walker has played at times this season. But I will be curious to see. I mean, they really, in the competitive portion against West Virginia, they didn't bother playing another running back. No, not, I mean, not really.
0: You know who? Uh, you know who Gavin Sawchuk reminds me of at this point, and at just the way that he looks when he runs the football. Who? He's a faster version of of Kennedy Brooks.
2: I can see that. Okay. I mean, yeah. He like a has little bit faster. Better yeah.
0: top end speed, but he glides the same way. And his, his cutting ability at the line of scrimmage looks very similar to what we saw from, from Kennedy Brooks. And everybody obviously was really excited about him early on. And he ended up being, uh, a, you know, a damn good player for OU.
2: Yeah, no, I agree with you. Um, and also, I think the way, again, I think Kennedy Brooks was, even though he wasn't the fastest guy, I think he was really good at reading blocks. Mm-hmm. He was really good at improvising and he was just hard to bring down. And that's yep. what, when Gavin Sawchuck's fully healthy, that dude's that dude's bigger than I think he gives credit for, than Always he gets credit falling for. falling forward. Yep. Yeah, he's hard to bring down. Um, but I will be interested to see, again, just, is it like we expect as he continues to, to start and see the bulk of the carries? I'll add one other thing I'll be watching for is, Uh, You mentioned him uh, earlier in the episode. Uh, I'll be looking, I'll be watching Kip Lewis, a guy who, you know, I think there was a question going into last weekend that with Danny Stutzman likely to come back uh, does, you know, do they shift Danny Stutzman to middle linebacker and and bring in Kip Lewis? Do where, how, where does Jan Canick slide into all that? And the answer was they wanted Danny Stutzman and Kip Lewis or and Kip Lewis. To be on the defense, they both played over 50 snaps. Jaren Canick really didn't play until the fourth quarter, and Brent Venables mentioned it after the game. Kip Lewis is a stud. He just sees the ball and goes and gets the ball. He keeps on making plays. I'll be curious to see if that continues because Jaron Canick played nearly every snap over the first eight weeks, uh, but you know, but you know, he wasn't very good against Kansas, wasn't great against UCF, wasn't good against Oklahoma State. That opened the door. For Kip Lewis, does that continue? I'm assuming it does, but does that continue?
0: Do you have Do you have snap totals uh, at your leisure right now? Is that something you can look at?
2: Uh, I do, I don't. I not, just was
0: curious what 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 Canick's uh, snap I, total was last week.
2: I think it was 25 or 26. Okay. Okay. Um, and I think most of them. Can, I remember it being about half of Kip Lewis's total, and I remember them most of them came in the fourth quarter. Got it. Right. Like I, I don't really think Canick saw the field in the first half. Okay.
0: Well, it was just something something to note I thought would be interesting to know.
2: Yeah, and again, you mentioned Gentry Williams, that injury also Desan McCullough didn't play against West Virginia. He's dealing with some injuries. Peyton Bowen saw a lot of snaps against West Virginia after not playing that much Mm -hmm. um, the few games prior because he's been dealing with injuries. So there are things uh, to watch in that regard. And look, like you said, look, we can look at this on paper and say, this is a game Oklahoma should win pretty easily on both sides of the ball. Oklahoma State probably thought the same thing going to UCF. And they got beat by forty-two. And if this team is, <laughs> it's still funny to say it. <laughs> and uh, I, I was stunned looking at. The, I checked the score in the third quarter. I was like, "What am I? What am I looking at?" And they've what got the teams the... wrong, right? No. Yeah. No, they didn't. <laughs> and, but that's again an example. Oklahoma State, just like Oklahoma, after the Texas win, after the UCF win, they were in the driver's seat. Now all of a sudden. Oklahoma needs things just needs some things to go their way but that doesn't all that doesn't matter if Oklahoma doesn't take care of business this Saturday and I think this is a game where they should take care of business and look good doing it like they did against West Virginia I think that's just where we're at Brian any parting thoughts this weekend big 12 tiebreaker scenarios anything like that
0: um Oklahoma fans need to uh, keep an eye on the Iowa State-Texas game. We kind of mentioned that earlier. Mm-hmm. You need to be pulling really hard for for Iowa State to pull off the win there. Uh, I will say, with Jonathan Brooks out for Texas, that's going to be a game that's a lot closer than people realize. Uh, that game is at 7 p.m. It's in Jack Trice Stadium. It's senior night. There's all kinds of things that happen up there in Ames at night, and so that one—that's one that you definitely need to be paying attention to. But uh, you know, as far as the Big 12 tiebreaker thing goes, like Brent Venable said, you know, I don't really believe in in conspiracy theories. Oh, you just need to take care of business. Uh, get into eight and two, get or get to get to eight and two, and and then uh, worry
2: about other things later. Or nine, I, 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 nine and two. Yeah, nine and two. I'd also add uh, Kansas State, Kansas. That's a huge game, and Kansas is another this weekend. And that's another example again, a Kansas team that uh, I think felt pretty good after beating Oklahoma, but you know, last weekend um, they they go down, or Texas they they beat team. they beat Iowa State, and then they go down to Texas Tech because yep. I mean, Jason Bean got hurt, and look, that's a tough thing. But that's how quickly things can change. Yeah. They lost to a they lost to a middling Texas Tech team at home. And injuries hurt them, but that's you're right. And the other the other thing we didn't talk about is is you're right. You you just said it. OU moving to nine and two on the year with a chance to go to ten and two. The optics haven't been great. Back to back losses hurt. Considering last year, and I mean I think and considering how tough those back to back losses were, I think to to get to nine and two with a chance to go to ten and two with a with a spot in the book Twelve title game possibly up for grabs. A lot to be encouraged by, even if it's a little disappointing. Still, a lot to be encouraged by.
0: This is just the op- the opportunity for this team to actually go twelve and two. Mm-hmm. Humongous. I mean, what more yeah. could you ask for in a, in a transition year? So it's good stuff. It's just, it's Oklahoma's right where they need to be. I I, I like where they're at.
2: Um, you just got to take advantage of the opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. With that, Brian, that will bring uh, to an end this latest installment of the Oklahoma Drill fueled by the Rivals Network and, of course, OU Insider. Um, You guys can always find the latest episodes of the Oklahoma Drill with Brian and I on our YouTube channel every Thursday, or you can go to uh, wherever you get your podcasts uh, to listen to us there. If you're not a VIP member over at OUinsider.com, go ahead and come over and check it out. It's a it's a community full of thousands of OU fans. You'll get content from me, from Brian, from our recruiting guys, uh, Parker and Brandon. We've also got a new guy, Brody, who's handling a lot of basketball recruiting stuff. Because guess what? Basketball is underway. The men's team is 3-0. The women's team is 4-0. Both teams looking pretty good right now. Um, and of course, we're still in the thick of, of college football and the OU football season. There's still a lot to unpack. You're not going to get the kind of content you can get over at OU Insider, come over and check it out. And if not, Brian, safe travels, uh, particularly to you, but safe travels to you and I in Provo, Utah this weekend. And we'll see everybody else next week.